Okay, if you'd open up to the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, we might actually finish chapter 1 today. I don't know if there's any handouts left. Uh, We've been spending quite a few weeks on this chapter, very important chapter, focusing on the fact that Jesus is the, the firstborn over all creation. He is the preeminent one. As God the Son become a man, he will reign over Uh, the world when he returns, but he is rightfully already the king of the universe, um, but he'll reign upon the earth when he returns. So so as you turn there, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time that uh, God would anoint the preaching uh, of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that there's still people, there's a remnant in Kitsap County, and it's not just the only people in this church. That there are other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches that are not only willing uh, to proclaim your truth, but to also call into account um, those in positions of leadership who are attacking Christianity and attacking Christians and other freedom-loving individuals. So we thank you, Lord, that there's a remnant. I thank you that there's uh, people willing to come out on Sunday mornings and hear your word preached and then apply these truths to their lives throughout the week and witness to their co-workers and their neighbors and their relatives and friends. And so I just pray, Lord, that the people that are here today, they came to hear your word, your truth, not the faulty wisdom of man. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would cancel the man, as John said, that you would uh, anoint me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and not lead anyone astray. I pray you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word. Give us the courage to test all things, even what we hear from this pulpit with your word. And then empower us by your spirit and for your glory to apply these truths to our lives. So that we can be pleasing in your sight. And not be ashamed when we see your son face to face. When he takes his stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so remember Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul didn't plant this church. His buddy Epaphras planted it. And Paul uh, gets word from Epaphras that these, these Christians there in, in Colossus, they, they love the Lord. They love the saints. They have faith, hope, and love. It's like, wow, this is a great combination here. Um, Unfortunately, though, Epaphras let Paul know that there's false teachers, there's heretics in the midst of these Colossians, and they could lead people astray. And um, that's why Jesus warns us about wolves in sheep's clothing. Paul will often mention heretics by name. You know, and there's, I'm telling you, there are heretics right now teaching that man can become God. And that through the uh, transhumanism movement and depopulation, we're going to bring about a perfect situation on earth. And these guys are advisors to uh, world leaders. And, um, and so we've got to sound the alarm on these. Paul would often mention the false teachers by name. And uh, some of the false teachers there in Coloss, uh We're blending an early form of Gnosticism, salvation through secret mysteries. 
That's why you'll find Paul in his letters talking about mysteries, Christian mysteries. However, they were mysteries in the Old Testament, but then God revealed it in the New Testament. So that Jesus, in Jesus, is not only salvation for mankind, in Jesus is the wisdom of God personified, and all the mysteries are explained. And so Paul will talk about that as we get later in, um, in chapter 1 of Colossians. But it was an early blending, this heresy of Gnosticism, salvation through secret knowledge, uh, blending of that with legalistic Judaism, the idea that if you want to please God, you have to go by certain dietary laws and observe Sabbath days and feast days and circumcision. And then they blended that with uh, the heretical worship of angels and legalism and work salvation. Uh, these heretics demoted Jesus to less than full deity. They made him one of the many steps to God, one of the many intermediaries between God and man. Don't ever let anybody demote Jesus. Jesus is as good as he gets. Jesus is as great as he gets. Okay, He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's God the Son, become a man. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. So if he gets demoted to just one of the things in this created world, we say no. And the reason why he is the firstborn over all creation with the right to rule over all creation is because he also happens to be God the Son who became a man and provided salvation for us and conquered death, man's greatest enemy. But these heretics were demoting Jesus to less than full deity, teaching salvation through mysticism and secret knowledge and, and mysteries. And so Paul proclaims that Jesus is su supreme. He is the preeminent one. He is God, creator, redeemer, sustainer of the universe, and that he rules over uh, the universe. Now, Paul thanks God for the Colossians, because of their faith, love, and hope, and the good report he got from Epaphras, the guy who planted the church, but he also knew that there were some problems. There were these heretics. So Paul prays for them that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord. It is not God's will that we believers get saved and then remain biblically illiterate. Okay, God wants us to grow not just in love, Okay, and in kindness, but God also wants us to grow in our knowledge of God's word and our wisdom of the spiritual things of God. You know, God didn't just give us John 3.16. Uh, by the way, let me say this. Don't misunderstand me. It is not the goal of the church. The main goal, the primary goal of the church is not to lead people to Jesus for salvation. A lot of people think it is. But Jesus didn't say make baby Christians. He said make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then teaching them all that I taught you. So our goal is not to make baby Christians. But to lead people to Christ. That's just the beginning. And then to help disciple them. This is why it's so important to have solid Bible-believing churches. You show me somebody says, oh, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, I just don't, I just don't go to church, a bunch of hypocrites. 
20, 20, 30 years of not going to church is going to really stunt your spiritual growth, assuming you really are saved. John put it so bluntly, he said, how can you say you love God who you can't see if you hate your brethren who you can see? And so you should love to be around the brethren. Now, day's going to come. We're going to be locked up in prison. Some of us, because we're too loud, solitary confinement. And you might say, oh, it never happened in America. Yeah, January 6th, guys just trespassed, trespassing with police officers waving him in. And some of those guys got a year and a half of solitary confinement and bad bologna sandwiches. Um, I'm telling you, you give me good bologna sandwiches, I die of starvation. Sister Margaret Melody used to catch me on a regular basis throwing out my bologna sandwiches. When my mom was mad at me, she'd make me bologna sandwiches. But, um, but whatever the case, you're not locked up now, so you need to fellowship with other believers. And these the Colossians, they, they, Paul prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord, but he pointed out the preeminence of Christ that Jesus is the firstborn, the ruler over all creation. And he not only created the universe, um, but he is sovereign over it, and he sustains it in existence. He pointed out that Jesus even created the spiritual realm. These guys were worshiping angels. And you might think, well, we're beyond that, uh, Pastor Phil. We're not that dumb. We're not dumb like those pre-scientific ancient peoples where this is the information age. We know so much more. We would never worship angels. Well, I'm telling you, uh, we got an awful lot of people, some who even call themselves Christians, but they're obviously not. There's some people who are worshiping the Space Brothers right now. And we got these spirit entities that manifest themselves physically, riding craft in the sky, and they demote Jesus to one of the space brothers, they say that we, the space brothers, created you and you're going to blow the planet up unless you trust in us and worship us and then we'll come back and rescue, rescue you. This is a big demonic deception. God's word says test the spirits because they're not all from God. And how do you test the spirits? You test them by what they say about Jesus. Just read First chapter, John chapter 4. And so Paul is focusing on Jesus as the preeminent one, the firstborn, the ruler over all creation. He's the creator, but he's also part of the creation because he became one of us. So God the Son always existed. Jesus always existed as God, the second person of the Trinity, but at a point in time he added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature. So he's fully God and fully man. So he joined his creation without ceasing to be God. But because he is God, he is the, the rightful ruler over all creation. You can see where Adam forfeited that in the garden. Okay, Lucifer stole it from him, so the Bible calls him the God of this age or the God of this world. Well, let me tell you something. Through the death, resurrection, and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus is coming back. And the first time he came... He came to seek and save that which is lost. So now is the day of salvation. If you haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation, trust in him now. Second time he comes back, he's coming back to shepherd the nations with an iron rod. And, um, and now I'm telling you, you know, uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Klaus Schwab. What's the name of that little guy? 
Harari, the little guy from Israel, thinks he's uh, thinks man is uh, creating God now, and uh, and um, those guys think they're so powerful. I'm telling you, you know, they could, I could look at them and say, "Well, here I am, just a little pastor and a and a little high school teacher, and I go around and give talks sometimes." I mean, who am I next to these billionaire movers and shakers? But it's not the size. In spiritual battle, it's not the it's not your size or the size of your opponent. It's the size of your God. Amen. Okay? So, I mean, if David wasn't afraid of Goliath, why should we be afraid of Klaus Schwab? Why should we be afraid of Bill Gates? Okay? We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, the risen King. You know, man's greatest enemy is death. Jesus fought that battle, and guess what? He won. He defeated death. He's not going to have any problem defeating Klaus Schwab. Okay? And um, so you've got to put your trust uh, in the Lord Jesus. But he's not only the head over all creation, he's also the head of the church. That's why we, we were like uh, uh, deer caught in the headlights. When uh, all of a sudden our government said, well, the church is one of those non-essential businesses, and they shut down the church. And we're like, wait a minute. Is, is Jesus the head of the church or is the government the head of the church? Now, we didn't have our own autonomy. We didn't have our own building. And, um, you know, we talked to the guys who ran this building and I said, uh, by, by the way, if for health reasons, if the leadership of this church in prayer, if we think for health reasons we need to shut down for a little while, that's one thing. But when the government tells you you got to do it, that's a whole other thing. Okay? And... Um, um, but, uh, you know, our government thinks it runs the church. Let me tell, let me, let me tell you something, Mr. Uh, Joe Biden. You're not the head of the church. Klaus Schwab, you're not the head of the church. Okay? So you, can make, you want to make suggestions, you can make suggestions. Okay? And then you do, do your job and protect the Bill of Rights and the Constitution instead of trampling through them. And uh, but we got to do our job, you know. If our if our government wants to just declare war on Christianity, which it's been doing, you got to do what you got to do, and we got to do what we got to do. And what we got to do? Worship Jesus, serve Him, obey Him, love God with everything we got, love our neighbor as ourselves, and so uh, and so we serve Jesus. That's what we do. When we sign on a dotted line and trust in Jesus for salvation, if we genuinely trusted in him for salvation, we were basically saying, I no longer live for myself. I live for King Jesus. And if you don't like that, you want to mess with Jesus, I'm going to pray for you. You might cause me a lot of pain and hardship in this life, but I don't want to be in your shoes when King Jesus comes back. Okay? And, um, and, so, um, and so Paul had to point out that not only... Is Jesus the head over all creation? He's also the head of the church. Now look at verse 19. We'll pick it up at verse 19. For it pleased the Father, it pleased God the Father, that in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And re remember the word uh, for, for fullness there is pleroma. And the way the ancient mystery religion, Gnostic type people, they talked about the pleroma being the different levels between God, 
kind of like some Platonic type thought, but the different levels between God and man, different steps, if you will, different uh, rungs on the ladder. And, um, and so they thought Jesus was part of the fullness. Paul says, no, Jesus is the fullness. Okay? Um, there's not many steps to God. Jesus alone is the way to the Father. Now, Paul elaborates on this. Look at Colossians 2, 8 to 10. We'll go in more depth in this passage when we get to, to uh, uh, Colossians 2, 8 to 10, when we get there. Uh, but just skip ahead a little bit to Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Now, philosophy is a love of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Jesus is our wisdom. So we love wisdom. What's being slammed here is anti-Christian philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. And the brilliant thinkers right now, the movers and shakers, they are talking about artificial intelligence, you know, replacing human workers. There's no real need for human worker bees for the global elite. And they're talking about depopulation, okay? And they're talking about transhumanism. Okay, so they'd love to experiment on us. And if it works, then they could use it. If it doesn't work, well, too bad. Phil Fernandez, now you're disposable. Okay, and um, but they're coming up with all these ideas. And oh, well, no, we, we don't settle for, we don't fall for the empty deceit and the philosophy and the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. We go to Jesus. You know, if, if the world says something, if Klaus Schwab says something, and I look in the scriptures, and he got it right accidentally, well, then it's, okay, well, he got it right. Okay? But I'm going to test it with the word of God. Jesus is the embodiment of our wisdom because he is God the Son, um, uh, become a man. And... Um, and so, uh, Paul says, beware about false philosophy. Don't let, of the tradition of men, don't let them lead you astray. For in him, for in Christ dwells what? All the fullness. Again, play Roma. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Another translation says, for, for in him uh, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Okay? So, when you, when you see Jesus, you don't look at Jesus and say, that's almost all the spiritual, quote-unquote, stuff. That's almost all the spiritual stuff I need. Okay? No, you're complete in Christ. It's not Jesus plus something more. Jesus plus the space brothers. No. Jesus plus the worship of angels. No. And that's why Paul says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So all these angels that the Colossians are worshiping, Jesus created them, and Jesus rules over them. And so now in Jesus is the fullness of God. God incarnate, God become a man, why would you need something more than Jesus. So back in verse 19 of chapter 1, for it pleased the Father uh, that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. 
the pleroma. So there's the, you don't need angels or intermediaries. The fullness of our way to God is Jesus. He's got it all. Okay? And, uh, and there's always people think, well, I need Jesus plus something more. No, just Jesus himself. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, and by Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so Jesus reconciles all things to himself. Now this is not saying that everybody's going to be saved, but what Paul is saying is that all of creation is fallen. Because mankind fell, because Lucifer fell, all creation is fallen. And now, through the Lord Jesus, the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the work of God the Son, through his death, resurrection, and his future return, God has done everything that is needed to make peace with all of creation. Okay? Now... There's still going to be rebels. There's no salvation for fallen angels. And there's lots and lots of human beings who will not willingly bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, but basically what Paul is saying is, look, Jesus was not on a trip. Again, again, thinking like the UFOs and the Space Brothers and the way these guys worshipped angels, because even in ancient times... The daimonios, uh, we get our word demons from it. That's one of the word, Greek words for the gods. Even in the ancient times, they would visit earth in crafts, according to ancient people groups. And it's not like Jesus was on a trip from a whole other dimension, from heaven, just to planet earth and just to the nation of Israel. It was tough enough for the Jews to recognize Wow, Jesus isn't here just for Israel, just for us, but also the Gentiles. And that's part of the mystery that Paul's going to talk about later in this chapter, that Jesus is also here for the Gentiles. Not all of us are Jewish. Most of us are Gentiles. I'm glad he came for the Gentiles too. But it wasn't just one nation, it was all the earth. You know, Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Jesus came for all the earth. But the problem was, now you start preaching the gospel to a Gentile audience, and then you get some of these Gnostic heretics saying, yeah, 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 yeah. these guys, if they were alive today, they'd be Mormons, to be honest with you. Be like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the God of this planet but not the other planets, not this solar system, not the, the galaxy, not the, the whole universe. Are you kidding? You need a lot more space brothers than that. we got to worship all these other angels. Okay? And, uh, and Paul is saying, no. No, Jesus reconciles all things to himself. By the way, there were some Gnostic believers that viewed the physical creation as irredeemable. The whole goal is to escape the physical realm. Kind of a hangover from Platonic thought. Uh, contrary to Gnostic belief, all creation is redeemable. Now, there are free will agents, 
like angels that have fallen that cannot be redeemed and humans that refuse to bend the knee to Jesus. Uh, but all of creation in a general sense, Jesus is the ruler over all creation, the creator over all creation, the sustainer over all creation, and he alone is the one who can make peace over all creation. The idea that, uh, well, just this, this is just planet Earth, Israel and the Gentiles, we need to worship some high-ranking angelic beings if, um, if you really want to reach God, and it's like, no, no, uh, it's Jesus alone. He reconciles all things to himself on earth and in heaven. He made peace through his blood. He died on the cross. You know, the, 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 the Gnostics that came after these guys, they also were Docetists. The Docetist heresy said Jesus really was God in some way, shape, or form, but he only pretended to be human because to have a human body, you'd be part of the physical world, and that's irredeemable. We want to just escape this physical world. So it's possible that, that, that Paul keeps bringing up that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he died in his body of flesh. It's possible that he's bringing it up because some of these heretics that were leading the Colossians astray might have actually denied that Jesus literally um, took on bodily form took on a human nature. They might even be uh, denying that his death on the cross provides salvation for us. Now, this is in verse 20. You can look forward, uh, look a little bit ahead there for verse 20, because there he says, having made peace, reconciling all things to himself, having made peace through his blood on the cross, and then he talks about that reconciliation in verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. So he seems to be going out of his way to emphasize that the physical creation is redeemable and that Jesus really did become one of us and really did die in his flesh on the cross for our sins. You want to read this by, by 107 A.D. Paul's, Paul's writing this in 61 A.D., just one generation later, uh, Ignatius, who was the, um, the bishop of, Ant of the church in Antioch, Assyria, which, by the way, was the church that Paul and Barnabas went to, and they commissioned them to go on their first missionary journey. That was their home church. So Ignatius might have been a little guy that personally knew Paul, certainly knew Paul's teachings, or they wouldn't have made him the bishop of the church of Antioch, Assyria. Well, he was getting in route to get fed to wild beasts for preaching the gospel, so he wrote seven letters. He's called an apostolic father. And in his seven letters, over and over again, he makes it really clear that Jesus was born of a virgin in the flesh, that Jesus lived in the flesh, that he died on the cross for our sins in his body, in the flesh, that he rose from the dead in his body, that he sits at the Father's right hand in his body, that he's going to return someday in his body. And it's real obvious by 107 AD, docetism, the idea that Jesus only pretended to be human, was uh, one of the biggest enemies of the early church. The Gnostics, the ancient Gnostics held to this. I mean, this was so widespread that by 600 AD, 
a confused Arab named Muhammad. Actually, he was getting so much information, word of mouth about the Bible, he never read the Bible himself. You don't believe that, just read the Quran. Anybody who thinks Miriam, um, the sister of Moses, was uh, the mother of Jesus, has got a really big problem with Bible chronology there. It's a 1,500-year gap. But, um, but Muhammad was so confused, he didn't even think Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die at all. He was just uh, uh, assumed into heaven, and he didn't die on the cross, didn't rise from the dead. And uh, it's partly because of this type of teaching. So Paul is, is really going out of the way to say that not only did Jesus reconcile all of creation, um, but he did this through his blood on the cross and, um, and through his body of flesh through death. So look at verses 21 through uh, 23. And you who once were alienated, we were separated and alienated from God, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. See, they were pagans. They were about as far away from God as you can get. They were alienated from God, but now Jesus had made peace. How did he do it? In the body of his flesh, through death, when he died on the cross for their sins, to present you, as immature baby believers, no. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Please lead your friends to Christ. But that's just the beginning. Your goal is fully mature Christians. Okay? And that's why we all need to be discipled. Even pastors need to be uh, discipled. I mean... Um, and by the way, if God's given you the gift of evangelism, you better be leading people to Christ. But after you lead them to Christ, don't leave them hanging. I've known people who can, count, can tell you, I've led 1,217 people in the sinner's prayer to accept Christ. On a street, street corner in Bremerton or whatever. But if you don't follow up, you know, some, some of us are going to find out you know, some of us are going to think, well, when I was eight years old, I got saved. We're going to find out, no, you weren't saved till you were 16. Others are going to find out, no, you, you thought you were saved when you were 16. You got, didn't get saved till you were 23, or you got saved when you were eight. Um, so sometimes we emotionally accept the gospel, but we really don't commit to the Lord Jesus from the heart and true saving faith until later on. Disciple people. But I would also say this. Um, disciple people, pray for them. I, I would be willing to disciple people who are not even believers. As long as they're open to God's truth, open to the word, and willing to listen, and they come to me for spiritual advice. Why do I say that? Because I'm not sure when the apostles got saved. <coughs> I kind of get the impression Doubting Thomas wasn't saved until he saw Jesus risen from the dead and said, My Lord and my God. So if people are open to, to, to coming to you with their biblical questions, by the way, everybody here, they, you know, you could say, well, he's a pastor, so he's on a mission from God. Now, if you're a Christian, you're on a mission from God. Amen. And every one of you has a mission field. Okay? Jesus mega-discipled 12 guys, and one of them was a traitor. 
And then he had a lower level of discipleship of 72 disciples. Now, I think he got help from the apostles to disciple them. Okay? That's why I have to spend enough time, adequate time, discipling the leaders of Trinity Bible Fellowship so they can help me disciple the others. But I'm telling you, you, you might have three people, you might have five. If you got more than 12, don't try to outdo Jesus. Start getting some help. Okay? And um, you, see, you see, we're not, Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I will make you fish. He said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus wants to lead us to his salvation, but then wants us to be discipled so that we can become Christian leaders and guide others. But take a look at your friends. Pray about it. Your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, okay? Um, your relatives, anybody who comes to you with their spiritual questions and write them down. And then what I would do is um, tape it to your refrigerator door, because if you're like me, you visit that place numerous times a day, and, um, and start praying for them, because that's your mission field. It might be two guys at the, on the work site, a relative from New Jersey gets a hold of you once a month with biblical questions, for, but find out who are the, your next-door neighbors, I thought the Lord was telling me to invite my next-door neighbor. All I know is his name, his first name. No, nothing else about the young guy. I thought the Lord was telling me, go knock on his door. And uh, Well, I just heard a voice in my head saying, go knock on his door and invite him to, uh, to boxing tonight. And I thought, well, that's weird. He's a stranger. I mean, I felt like a little boy, you know, knocking on the door. Can you come out and play? You know, it's just like... It's like, dude, the guy's in his 20s. I'm like 62 years old. You know, he's going to think I'm a, a creep or something. And, uh, and uh, so I said, nah, nah, this is like on Wednesday and all. So Friday I show up. He's in there at the kids have combat sports training. And I didn't recognize him. He came up and recognized me and said hello and stuff like that. So, uh, so I got to think more about my neighbors. It's easy to say, hey, I gave at the office. I'm a pastor. I'm going home to sleep, not to get to know my neighbors. Well... I'm telling you, when everything comes down in this country, my only flock might be people walking distance from my house. You know? I mean, with this president, just the price of gas alone could cause a catastrophe like that. And, um, but, um, but whatever the case, find out those people, pray for them, and once you identify your mission field, then look for opportunities to reach out to them. And do not, don't be that dummy that starts 12 Bible studies a week to minister to 12 different. Get three or four of them in one group and two over here, you know. But work it out so that, you know, with, the, with some guy, you might, you might just go out for a breakfast or a cup of coffee once a month with the guy just to help disciple him. And then try to get them plugged into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Okay? But we walk around, we think, oh, you know, this or that, I'm... I'm not a big shot. Look at the bad guys, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and George Soros and all this power that they have, all the big guys. You know, if I, were, if I was God and I became a man, I always thought, man, I'm just going to be, I'm going to put up banners everywhere. God on world tour. I'm going to fill up soccer stadiums all over the world. 
And, uh, but guess what? That's not a good idea. Because God did become a man, and he did, he did the exact opposite approach. He'd speak to thousands. That's the exception rather than the rule. He'd do one-on-one evangelism. That's the exception rather than the rule. He spent the bulk of his time discipling 12 guys. Okay? Quality discipleship, not quantity evangelism. Quantity evangelism introduces people to the gospel. But it's the hard work of the troops. It's just like when the U.S. invades a country, uh, the the pilots go and they bomb all this stuff and break the infrastructure down. But you still got to send in the Marines. They got to go door to door and do the do the dirty work. So uh, so whatever the case, um, uh, find out who's in your mission field because. Uh, as we see in this passage and many other passages, um, that we are to bring people about the spiritual maturity. The goal is not just to lead people to Christ, but to bring them about, to present them holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now, there's a big debate in the church. Can believers lose their salvation? Some good godly brothers and sisters believe you can lose your salvation. Some good godly brothers and sisters believe you can't. One thing I will say, all true believers, all, you're not going to end up in heaven unless you persevere in the faith. Unless you endure in the faith. Now I believe if you are truly born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, you might have a bad day, like Peter, denied Jesus three times. You might have a bad year, uh, like King David. Uh, but if you truly are his, in the end, when everything's said and done and the smoke clears, um, you're going to endure until the end. And, um, um, but the idea that people can profess to be believers and then just go right on, what God says thou shalt and they don't do it. God says thou shalt not and then they do it and they call themselves Christians. Let me tell you, if you're a true believer, you're going you're to do some woodshed time really quick. And if that doesn't work, God's going to take you home soon. He'll take you home early. But if he allows you to continue, you know, it's like the book of Hebrews says, if you're not being chastened, if you're not being disciplined, then you're an illegitimate son. You're not really, you don't really belong to the Lord. Uh, so verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, let me say this. Um, uh, what is going on right now, I think, in the lives of believers like you and me, we're still waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. In other words, we're waiting. Everybody in their mother's brother claims to be have it right with God or whatever concept of God they have. Well, when Jesus returns, it's going to become clear who the real believers are. Amen. So are you a believer or are you a pretender? And, um, and, so, uh, and so you've got to walk uh, with the Lord and, um, and endure uh, in the faith. Um, but we've got to, you know, are you, just, are you right now, are you just going through a little fad? You know? I love with like weightlifting. Um, a lot of people, be sometimes I'll see a lot of like skinny guys. They want to get big and muscular. 
and they find a new workout on the internet. And so they work at it for two or three months, and they're not getting results yet, so they give up on it because now somebody else came out with a new, different workout. And so you go through 30 years of guys doing like 15 different fad workouts and never sticking with anything. Don't ever let the gospel be that for you. Nothing breaks my heart more than to run into some guy that I thought was a Christian brother decades ago, and I say, so where are you going to church? He says, oh, I'm not into that now. I saw one, one guy that I thought was a Christian brother, he and his wife, and uh, bumped into him in a store. I hadn't seen him for a couple decades, and he was telling me about some kind of hidden planet in our solar system and that when it comes, there's going to be a true manifestation of the Space Brothers. And I just like, dude, you don't even know Jesus. Well, and this guy wrote songs praising Jesus. Never got heavy in God's word. Okay? That's one thing I like, too, by the way, about our praise and worship leaders. They're grounded in God's word. You know, I always get nervous when I go to visit another church. And you have no idea if the... People are leading you in praise and worship. They could be biblically illiterate. So we got churches right now with pastors who are biblically illiterate. Okay? Are you going through a fad? You know, I, you know, I tried Jehovah's Witnesses. didn't work out for me. I tried Mormonism. Then I tried Buddha. Then I tried Jesus. But, uh, man, this Space Brother thing's really caught my interest now. I'm watching Ancient Aliens all the time and taking notes. And um, I'm telling you, look, if Jesus is just your current fad, you are still hellbound. Okay? Um, don't get too comfortable with Jesus. I mean, you know, if Jesus is your buddy or your friend, then that's it. And he loves you, but he's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And so... You know, the heretics there could say, well, he's just one of many. And there's these, all these other angels and this, and we're going to worship them. And Paul's like, no, he's the Pleroma. He's the fullness of God. Bodily form. Is Jesus your Pleroma? Or, you know, like Paul says, you know, uh, don't move away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Stay true to the gospel. Yeah, by the way, when I got saved and I started, you know, I thought, I thought, hey, I got saved today, so anybody who's not saved by tomorrow is going to hell. So, uh, and, I, and I, you know, my arrogance from being a non-believer carried over into as being a believer, so I thought, okay, now I got saved, so now God can really have the gospel preached to all mankind. So I was just like, look, I accepted Jesus yesterday. You better accept him today or you're going to hell. And so I went home back to New Jersey on a visit, and man, I was driving them nuts. And uh, there, I, my old sister Elaine was throwing demonic fits and screaming at me. And she told me, I talked talking to my dad. I couldn't. My dad was the toughest guy to witness to. He's a traditional Catholic guy, but whenever I talked about the gospel, he agreed with me on everything. It's like, man. My Bible teachers never taught me what to say to people who agree with you when you 
You know, so eventually I had to realize, hey, this guy is a Christ-centered Catholic and has a vibrant faith in Christ. Yeah, we disagree on some really important issues. But, uh, but anyway, as I was talking to him, my sister Elaine screamed at me and said, uh, screamed at my dad and said, Dad, uh, he doesn't love you. Uh, he, he just loves God. And, uh, and I was like, wow, that doesn't make any sense at all. But now my sister Elaine, she professes faith in Christ. She's disgusted with what's going on in the world. But early on, they just told me, don't worry about it, Phil. You're just going through a fad. You know, my mother went from, you know, before I was saved, my mother was convinced. My, she used to cry herself to sleep at night on my dad's chest. She was convinced I was going to grow up to be a murderer. Okay. She went from that to then once I got saved, she was like, oh, Phil, whatever happened to you? I miss the old Phil, you know, because it's just like, well, the new Phil turns the other cheek because he's living for Jesus. But it was like, you're just going through a fad. You're just going through a fad. After about 20 years, they realize, you know what? This isn't a fad. This guy's probably going to die preaching the gospel. And, um, and so you, you make sure that you do not move away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Okay? And then Paul said, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so uh, Paul tells the Colossians that they're, they were once pagans, they were once alienated from God, but now Jesus made peace with God for them through the body of his flesh, through death upon the cross, and true believers endure in the faith. And then Paul says that Jesus is preached to every creature under heaven. Now, he's, he's using hyperbole because Paul knew there were people that hadn't heard the gospel message. Even to this day, um, there's, there's probably a, a billion or two people who haven't heard the gospel message. We've got to break down the code of their language, learn their language and, and things, and usually... Dub, it, dub their language into the Jesus film and get them the gospel as quick as possible and then start discipling them. So Paul's using hyperbole, but he's using hyperbole for this purpose. Again, they're acting like the opponents of biblical Christianity and Coloss are acting like Jesus is a local deity. And Paul's saying, look, the gospel's being preached to everybody. And Jesus predicted... You know, Jesus talked about all the signs of the end times, you know, and we're looking for this and we're looking for that, and that's being smart. If Jesus said it, I'm listening, okay? But Jesus said, but this is not yet the end, and then the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. And Paul realized that our gospel message is a gospel message that all mankind needs to hear, and it's the gospel message, the good news of salvation in Jesus it's the pleroma of God's salvation work, the fullness of God's salvation work, in that you don't need any other uh, go-betweens. It's only through uh, the Lord Jesus that we can be saved. And then, uh, and then Paul tells the Colossians, do not move away from the faith. Uh, and Paul says, he's a minister of the gospel. Are you? Am I? I mean, I, if I'm going to be a minister of the gospel, that doesn't mean just preaching on Sundays. 
teaching a Bible study on Wednesdays, maybe even keep teaching kids the Bible through the week, high school, if you're going to be a real minister of the gospel, that means preaching the gospel, and you can preach the gospel in regular words, you don't have to get behind a pulpit, but it also means practicing what you preach. Okay? Your words have no power if they haven't transformed your life. But Paul's a minister of the gospel, are we? Verses 24 and 25, Paul says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. The church is the body of Christ, of which I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God. You know, God owns the earth, but he gives us a mission, a stewardship, uh, a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so he was called to be the apostle to uh, the, the Gentiles, and that was his, his stewardship. But he's saying that he's suffering for the cause of the gospel. Okay? I don't want us to misunderstand this. Look at, uh, turn to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verses 18 through 20. Jesus said this to the apostles on the night he was betrayed. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. By the way, if the world hates you, make sure they hate you because they see Jesus in you. Okay? If you're just an obnoxious person, okay, um, believe me, there's lots of reasons. I give people enough reasons to hate me totally apart from my faith in Christ. And so I've got to make sure, I've got to say, Lord, please change me in those areas. But then if they're hating you because you're, you're preaching the gospel, speaking the truth in love, sometimes they hate us because we speak the truth, but it's not in love. Sometimes they really, really love us because we love, we, we act like we're trying to love everybody, but there's no truth. But you speak the truth in love, and some people are going to hate you. And, um, and, and so Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I, used to, I learned this real early in law enforcement when I write guys speed tickets. That if they start ch- trying to chew me out and cursing at me, I say, good, good afternoon, sir, this is Officer Fernandez, Subbase police. reason why I stopped you, I was running radar, clocked you and doing a 42 and a 30. I'm going to need to cite you. I would always tell them I'm going to need to cite you if I'm going to cite them so that they can't talk me out of it. Now, if I don't say I'm going to cite them, it means I might give them a verbal warning unless they're really mean to me. I would never tell somebody I'm not going to cite you because they could convince me to cite them. And uh, but he said, the reason why I'm going to cite you, clock you in doing a 42 and a 30, I'm going to need to see your driver's license vehicle registration. This is before you needed proof of insurance. Well, if the guy starts yelling at me and stuff, it's just like, look, some of our officers would yell back. Next thing you know, two guys are wrestling on the ground just because the guy was speeding. And then I got to go and bail the guy out and pull some big guy who was a nice guy until 10 minutes earlier off a little police officer. And it's just, I just learned, no, don't take it personal. 
He doesn't really have a problem with me. He doesn't even know who I am. He doesn't have a problem with me. He has a problem with the law and his ability to keep it and the fine he's going to have to pay. So don't take it personal. So next time somebody starts ridiculing you for being a Christian, for sharing the gospel, don't take it personal. It's like, well, that guy, that guy hates me. Look, your assessment of yourself is too high. You, like me, we're probably irrelevant. Just left to ourselves, we're probably not relevant enough to be hated. But you talk Jesus' talk. And all of a sudden, the all-relevant God comes into play. And the inability of the people to obey God's laws and their desire for human autonomy to be their own king and their their desire to not worship the Lord Jesus. Um, if you find the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you, Jesus said. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Every once in a while you were non-believers and you realize, man, I don't even feel like I'm, I'm one of them. Well, you're not. Okay? Verse 20, we try to find common ground, but don't compromise the gospel. In fact, the church in America, we've gone so far trying to find common ground that we've actually become the world. Okay, then we got nothing to offer the world. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So keep in mind, Jesus was predicting for his followers... And throughout the history of the church, we're going to be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted. Okay? And we shouldn't, shouldn't take it uh, personal. But Paul rejoices about his sufferings, not just for the church, but for the Colossians. He's like, I'm willing to suffer knowing that the Colossians are going to spiritually benefit from my sufferings. And then Paul says, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions or the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Don't take that out of context. Paul is not saying that he has to suffer for you to get to heaven. All the sufferings that were needed, the payment for sin, the sufferings that were needed to get you to heaven, that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus. But the Lord Jesus knew there's going to be a long time period before he comes back. And for God to accomplish his purposes through us, that's going to entail suffering. Okay? Not just the suffering of Jesus, but the suffering of the saints. God calls us all to suffer. Paul tells us that in 1 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who desires to live godly lives will endure suffering. It's just in America, I mean, you know, it's like, oh man, I really persecuted for the gospel. And he said, well, what happened? Well, I was telling a guy I'm a Christian, and he said, oh, you weirdo. And we act, oh, poor me. Now I'm going to cry for a week because somebody called me a weirdo, okay? And then uh, don't, just don't tell that. Don't tell how you suffered for Christ for the cause of the gospel with some Christian brother or sister in Nigeria who got slammed with a machete uh, by Muslims over there. I mean, it's... It's just like our, our day of testing is going to come, okay? But, but basically Paul is saying, look, to accomplish the mission God has for the church, 
is going to entail sufferings, and sometimes the sufferings of the Christian leaders is going to benefit the other Christians because they're going to see they're setting a good example for them. And so Paul's saying, I'm willing to suffer for your benefit. And there's going to be afflictions uh, throughout the history of the church. This is why Tertullian said in 220 AD, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That the more Christians were killed for their faith, the more attractive Christianity came to non-believers, became to non-believers. Okay? The church grows in leaps and bounds when Christians suffer. You look at the most comfortable nations on earth, America and Europe, Christianity's in decline. Look at the nations, third world countries, uh, and Africa. The African continent, by the way, is way more Christian than North America is. The percentage is somewhere around 47% that profess faith in Christ. And um, the unfortunate thing is the rest are either uh, tribal religious people, uh, Muslims, or communists. And, um, and that leads to, to persecution. But the church grows in leaps and bounds in the midst uh, of persecution. So Paul rejoices... Uh, in his suffering uh, and imprisonment. And, and then he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship uh, from God, which was given me for hope to fulfill the word of God. And so Paul said, look, God appointed me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We'll talk about it next week. Next week, that's going to be um, the mystery uh, that Gentiles can remain Gentiles and get saved by the Jewish Messiah. So Jesus suffered and died for the church, for our salvation. Still the church must endure much suffering as she ministers to the world and as we minister to each other. The suffering of the saints does not save, but it helps move the church forward. It helps us accomplish our kingdom work. Jesus suffered for us. We must be willing to suffer for him. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the ruler. Okay? So I could tell that guy in the White House, you tell me something that's consistent with what Jesus says, and I'll obey it. You disagree with King Jesus, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay? Jesus is the head of the church. Supreme ruler over creation, he's the head of the church. And guess what? You might think, well, that would make me unpopular. Yep. Guess what? If you're saved, you're called to suffer. One degree or another, you're called to suffer. Okay? It's like weightlifters who want to get big, but they don't want any pain. The old expression, no pain, no gain, is the same in spiritual things. You want to grow in the Lord, you want to impact others, uh, you've got to be willing to suffer for the gospel. And America has no exemption from that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for these people that uh, want to hear your word. And they take busy time out of their schedule. They want to hear your word. They want to understand your word. They want to believe your word. And they want to apply your word. So help us all, Lord, to not just be uh, babes in Christ forever, but help us to grow into into Christian maturity and help us to acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He is the head of the church. 
He is the firstborn ruler over all creation. And uh, though I pray that you would help us to be good citizens, when a government goes godless and goes demonic and punishes the good citizens and rewards the criminals, uh, help us to know, Lord, uh, when we need to say that we must obey God rather than men. Help us to be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Your word tells us that Jesus died for us, and therefore he rose again on our behalf. Therefore those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Maybe we, we be willing to live for King Jesus, and he is King, King of kings and Lord of lords. May we be willing to live for Jesus and to suffer for Jesus, and if need be, to die for Jesus. Help us, Lord. We love you so much, but help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Ladies, be nice to your husbands today. They're, they're... Let's go.